Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. We'll do two things uh, kind of before we get started in the message today. Uh, one is that uh, we need to give uh, God thanks for the rain. Uh, two weeks ago, we prayed for rain. Uh, that week, we had a little bit of rain, and then we had a little bit more. Of course, we're having it now, and we really need it, uh, so we ought to be thankful for it. We need to keep praying for the people that were impacted by the fires, uh, both uh, here and in uh, Tennessee around Gatlinburg. Uh, most of you probably saw on social media this happened kind of so quickly we didn't have time to promote it here, uh, but we went through social media and then sent an email out. Uh, also about uh, Mike Waxmuskie and his family were going to Gatlinburg this weekend already, and uh, he was burdened to try and take some items there. So his pickup truck and his enclosed trailer was completely full, uh, you know, after we loaded it up yesterday. And uh, they went up and delivered items to uh, places that needed them. Uh, he regrettably sent me a message last night and said they had found uh, uh, four more bodies uh, during the day yesterday, a uh, mother and her two children, two small children, and a retired pastor that was 84 years old. Uh, so, you know, they're still in the process of uh, sorting through things, and uh, regrettably that may happen more, so we need to pray that it doesn't. And I pray there are more people safe there than what they realize uh, may, may be safe. Uh, so uh, let, let's stop and, and, and pray. We asked God to send rain. He did, and I think we all give thanksgiving for that. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, answering our prayers. We realize that uh, you're the one that uh, does that. You're the one that's sovereign. You're the one that's in control. And we thank you for the rain that you've sent. And, uh, Father, we just pray you do be with those that have been so impacted by the, uh, by the fires uh, and, and, Lord, the loss of life and the loss of property. And we pray that you just bless them greatly. For it's in Christ's name we ask it. Oh, man. Uh, so I want to do a, a couple things before we jumped in the message. Uh, one was serious. One's uh, kind of lighthearted. And uh, I was standing outside in the hallway when the song that was heavy with the drums started uh, out there. And uh, as I was standing out in the hallway, uh, Bill Compton was standing close to me. And Bill, of all people, I, I would have expected it from some of you, but Bill, of all people, started to say, we will, we will rock you. <laughs> <laughs> While, while, uh, while, while we were out there and, uh, and, and everything. But, and I had just had that thought, you know, but, but because of the drums at, uh, at that time. So uh, uh, maybe the message today will rock your theology a little bit. I hope not. I hope you already had this one settled. Uh, but, but if not, you really need to get this one settled down and uh, know for sure what the Bible teaches about uh, salvation. Uh, we're doing this series where we're trying to debunk or refute some things that people uh, believe and statements that they make that aren't biblical. And today the one we're looking at is, is this. Uh, the Bible doesn't say it takes faith and good works to, attempt to attain uh, salvation. Uh, the, the reason that I decided to add this one in, uh, and I alluded to it last week, is that I was watching the TV news one evening, and they were broadcasting uh, several weeks back a prayer breakfast that was taking place in New York City. 
Uh, it was a Roman Catholic uh, prayer breakfast that they were, they were, they were having, or, or dinner rather. I don't think it was a breakfast. I misspoke there. It was actually a dinner, uh, really a black tie event. And uh, they have a lot of dignitaries that attend that every year. And uh, this year we had uh, a couple of presidential candidates there uh, that were speaking. And uh, as one of the presidential candidates was, was speaking, um, she happened to make the comment uh, to this effect uh, near the end of her speech. She said, and, and we know, and she was talking to the, to the crowd around her that they were with, and we know that it requires both faith and good works to attain salvation. Now, uh, think about the way that's worded. Think about the word attain salvation. Uh, I, was, uh, I was sitting there having a snack at the time. I think I could have spit my food out in that moment. I called Daryl, our associate pastor, afterwards, and he was listening to it also, and he said he about spit his drink out in that moment. And here's why. Folks, that statement is total heresy. If you know for sure what the Bible teaches about salvation, if you understand the gospel of Christ, you ought to fully recognize that it does not require faith and good works to attain salvation. You'll see in the message today, there is a place for good works because you're saved. But the Bible does not teach that it requires our faith in Jesus plus us working good, us being good, in order to attain salvation. If you say that, you're destroying the power of the cross. You're you're turning it into a works-based religion instead of it being based upon faith in what Jesus said. That that night when, when that was voiced on the television, I sat there really brokenhearted because... There's a national-wide ev- uh, audience that, that was hearing that. And, and then as I sat there and reflected on all the more, I, you know, I thought to myself, but people are hearing that through a lot of avenues. They, they're hearing that statement through maybe some denominations or some TV preachers or whatever the case might be. They're hearing people say that in order for you to attain salvation, it, it takes both faith and good works. You have to work in order to gain your salvation. It, it's more than just what Jesus did on the cross. Is really what's being said in that statement. And I became very burdened about that. I, so much so, I, I, I wish today that somehow we had national television coverage of this service. I, I wish somehow we had TV cameras here to where what I'm going to teach you out of the Bible, and I hope you already know it, about what salvation really is and what it isn't. I I wish there was national cameras here. But you see, I don't have that privilege. Some people do. Someone had that privilege that night. I don't have that privilege. But I do have the burden and responsibility as a pastor of Day 3 Church to be sure that you understand what the Bible teaches about salvation. To be sure you fully understand that salvation is not acquired or attained by your good works somehow attached to faith. We're going to be in three passages of Scripture today. We're going to be in Romans 3. We're going to be in James 2. And then we're going to be in Ephesians 2. And just kind of in a really really direct way, a simple way, I want to walk you through this passage of Scripture. And hopefully you'll leave here today really found and really grounded and understand what the Bible says about salvation. So let's go to Romans 3 to begin with. In Romans 3, since a lot of people talk about the law and obeying the law somehow can save you, and a lot of people talk about works 
And of course, we talk about faith and we talk about grace. We're going to see those, those things, the law, works, faith, and grace in Romans chapter 3 as we work through verse 19 through, through 26. And in those verses, we'll, we'll discover some really important things. The first thing we can discover there is the purpose of the law. So some people have in their mind, obeying the law can somehow help you attain salvation, or good works can somehow help you attain salvation. We need to recognize what the Apostle Paul, under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote about the purpose of the law. He says, now we know. So what he's telling us, there's something we can clearly know. Now we know that whatever the law speaks, or whatever it says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. He's going to clearly tell us some important things about salvation. He's saying you can know this. He starts out by saying we, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. So in that particular time, Paul's kind of contrasting those who were, were, were Jews and, and those who were not, that had understood the gospel of Christ and, and had trusted in that, and they were under grace. You, you might could look at it in our purposes to, to say this. If, if you're still under the law, that, that means you're under the law, you're being held guilty by the law, you're accountable to the law, and, and that kind of refers to a person that's never accepted Christ as their Savior. It is someone who is not under grace whatsoever. But, but he tells us there that there's, there, there's at least three purposes, I think, that he mentions regarding the law in that passage of Scripture. The first purpose is this. That, that every mouth may be stopped. Uh, sometimes that's a very positive thing, isn't it? Uh, some of you moms and maybe sometimes the dads wish you had that power when your kids would not be quiet. You know, that, that every mouth could somehow be stopped. Well, what that means in regards to the law is this. He, he's saying that the law was sent to where people will honestly evaluate themselves by God's law based upon God's law. And when we honestly evaluate ourselves based upon the holiness of God and what God's law has to say, we don't have any room to boast. We don't have anything to brag about. Instead of us thinking and trying to imagine that we're okay, though the law shows us absolutely the exact opposite. So it kind of shuts our mouth before God to where we, we don't have any excuses. It also was for this purpose, that the whole world may be held accountable to God. The, the, the law exposes people for their sin, and it shows them that there is a holy God, and they're accountable to Him. Part of the big push over the last several years uh, by science to want to deny God, and we talked about this a lot when we did some series about evolution and things like that a year or so back. A lot of the push there is this. People don't want to believe there's a God. And if they can do away with God, guess what they also do away with? They do away with their accountability to God. So that's part of the purpose in trying to say there's, there's no God. Well, the law is given here for this purpose to where people will be exposed for who they are. They'll see themselves for who they are. They'll recognize that they're a sinner and that, they're, uh, that they are accountable before God. Because he says that's what the law does. It holds you accountable before God. There, there's a third reason why he gives us about the law. He says the law was not given to save anyone. It's more or less what Paul is saying. 
For he said there by the works of the law, and I capitalized those next three words to where you'd be sure and reflect upon it clearly. He said by the works of the law, no human being, that includes you, that includes everyone that's ever lived or everyone that ever will live. No human being will be justified. No one will be made just before God. No one will be proclaimed innocent before God based upon the law, based upon working the law or living their life according to the law. He said no human being by doing that can be justified in God's sight. Why? Because that's not the purpose of the law. That isn't why God sent the law to begin with. It was not to save anyone. The law doesn't save anyone. The law was given instead to convict or convince people of their sinfulness because Paul goes on and he says these words. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's why God gave the law. It wasn't that we might think, oh, if I can do this, I'll earn my way to heaven. If I can do this, I'll build myself a stairway to heaven. That's not why God gave the law. God gave the law so we clearly see ourselves as we are, see God as He is and all His holiness, and, and recognize we can't do it and we need grace. We can't do it. That's why we needed a Savior. And that's what we're going to talk about in the rest of this message. He, he sent a Savior because we cannot do it. We, we can't save ourselves. There's not any way that we can save ourselves. He sent it in order that we might be accountable that we might understand that there's a law that we violated our government will do things like post highway signs with speed limits on them some of us don't like that i, I recognize that especially if you get caught speeding and you get and you get a ticket or something right john howard is that the good <laughs> it says 55 and 55 mile an hour zone so you won't have an excuse when they stop you and you say well i didn't know i couldn't run 85 it's there so you recognize that, so you know it up front. God sent the law so no one can have the excuse and say, well, I didn't know I was a sinner. I, I didn't know there was anything wrong. I, I, I didn't realize that I was a sinner. The law was clearly sent to show us that we have sin. Now, not only does Paul talk about the purpose of the law, he talks about the righteousness of God also in these verses. Because he goes on in verse 21 through 22, and he says this, but now, they just have told us the law won't save you and working won't save you. Trying to be good won't save you. So he goes on, he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. In other words, the law and obeying the law is not what provides you the righteousness of God. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. You can find pictures of the gospel, pictures of Christ in the law and foreshadowings of him and prophecies of him in the law and in the prophets. And then he goes on, he says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who, what does it say? No, you can do better than that. For all who believe. It didn't say work or obey the law. Paul's clearly letting us know that the righteousness of God is received through faith in Christ. He's saying the law and the prophetical writings bear witness or give us a testimony concerning the righteousness of God, but they won't provide the righteousness of God for you by trying to live up to the law or trying to live out good works. They give us a testimony instead that the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. See, the Bible does not say it takes faith and good works to attain 
salvation. Instead, the Bible clearly teaches being made right with God, being declared righteous by God, is through faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't say for all who work. It says for all who believe. Then he shows us the need of salvation in this passage of Scripture. If he's talking about being justified in the righteousness of God, we need to understand why we need it. So in in verse 22, the second part of verse 22 and all through verse 23, Paul writes these words, for there's no distinction. Now in that, of course, he's also talking about the the, the Jew and and the Gentile, but you can put any category you want to there. There, There's no distinction. You, You can throw Billy Graham there if you want to. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now that may come a shock to some of you, but guess what? Billy Graham was a sinner. I'm a sinner. Everyone's a sinner. Amen? Except Jesus. <laughs> all have sinned. All of us have. We all have missed the mark. The word that he uses for sin there literally means that, to miss God's mark. We can't attain God's righteousness. Us trying to attain God's righteousness by our good works is as foolish as us putting a target on the moon and trying to hit it with a slingshot. You're never, ever going to hit it. It will always fall short. And that's our problem. We cannot be good enough. We cannot obey the law well enough because we all have sinned. All of us have missed God's mark. All of us fall short of what God's glory is. All have sinned. We cannot attain salvation by good works works. A lot of times there'll be people that imagine themselves different or special. I've ran into those people before in the world. Well, I understand the Bible says all have sinned, but I'm not. I'm different. I'm going I'm to I'm do it some other way. Well, you keep telling yourself that, but I'm going to tell you the truth. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. So then he talks to us about the gift of salvation. And this is what we really need to understand. Salvation is not something we earn. Salvation is not something that we can work for. Instead, the Bible clearly lets us know it's a gift. Because we we pick up reading there in Romans chapter 3 at verse 24. It says, "And, and are justified by His grace, by His unmerited favor. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you deserve. We're justified by His grace as a gift. Some translations say freely. Uh, I'll talk more about that in a minute. It means the same thing. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Now, that's a good old Caldwell County word you probably used ten times last week, right? (laughs) By His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He passed over former sins... It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, talking about God being just, and also God being the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's letting us know it's not based upon our works. It's not based upon you and I earning our salvation. He's saying you you can't be justified by the law, but you can be justified by God's grace as a gift. The word for justified is one of those theological terms that more or less just means this. When you trust in Christ as your Savior, God proclaims you innocent and He looks at you as though you've never sinned. 
He looks at you as though you are just before God, even though you are not just before God, because we're all unjust, because we're all sinners. But through faith in Jesus, he proclaims us just. And that's why he's saying we can be made just. We can be made just like we never sin, as far as God is concerned, by his grace as, as a gift. It's an act of God's grace. It's not an act of your deserving it. It's not an act of your goodness. It's not an act of your works. It's not an act of you obeying the law. You you do not deserve it. You cannot attain it. You cannot work for it. Part of the reason for that is this. God is not going to be indebted to you or indebted to me or indebted to anyone because he's God. He's not going to give you salvation because you've worked for it. That would mean that he owes it to you. Instead, God provides our salvation as a free gift. It's a very expensive gift that we'll see, but he gives it to us as a free gift, and that word means gratuitously. It doesn't mean that you deserve it. It doesn't mean that you earn it, that you work for it. It's not a wage. It's a choice that God makes. He does so without a cause. He, he will offer free salvation to those who trust in Christ without a cause. It's not that you that he owes it to you, that you've earned it in any way. Salvation is a free gift, but it's a free gift that was purchased at a very expensive price. Some of you have been doing some Christmas shopping. Some of you are probably hating the price tag of some of the things maybe you found out your children wanted or someone else you're buying for wanted and, and, and things like that when you look at the price tag. I don't care how expensive of a gift you buy this year. There's never been any gift more extravagant and more expensive than God sending his son to die on the cross. It may be a free gift on our end, on our behalf, but it was bought at a very expensive price because Paul said this, it's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as that fancy word again, propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So let's see what that means. The, the word for redemption means the act of ransom in full. Do you remember when Jesus was dying on the cross and Jesus cried out, it is what? Finished. He, he was saying, I have carried out God's act of ransom in full. I, I've done everything completely necessary in order for you to be saved. God, through the redemption that is in Christ, the full redemption that is in Christ, God took care of our sin debt through Jesus dying on the cross, through the redemption that is in Christ. We've seen that little word in several times in this series. We're seeing it again this morning. It's a little word we buzz past a lot of times in the English, but here in the Greek, it means in a fixed position. Now, you ought to really celebrate this morning because of that, because here's what that word means. That means if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you have been redeemed in a fixed position in Christ, and that will never, ever be taken away from you. Amen? You can never lose it. It's in a fixed position in Jesus Christ because of what he did for you on the cross. God put him forward as a propitiation. That means to be expiatory. It means atoning victim. It was a word that was used also uh, to refer to the mercy seat uh, or the lid that was on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And underneath that lid was God's law. And that's what held people accountable and, and showed that we're sinners before God. In the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take the blood and he would go back into the most holy place and he would pour the blood out on that mercy seat. And underneath that mercy seat was where the law was. So what was taking place is this. You have a picture of the blood being between holy God and and, and between us and being our sin debt. You have the blood being applied and poured out. But when you look at what the rest of the, the word means and study it all the way out, 
The root word means to conciliate, to atone for sin, to make reconciliation for. See, that's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. Jesus made full payment, full reconciliation for our sin when he died upon the cross. He conciliated. He, 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 he by his death upon the cross, by shedding his blood on the cross, totally fulfilled all the just demands of God. The shed blood of Jesus on the cross appeased all the just demands of God. It's not based upon what we've done. It's based upon Jesus and his finished work on the cross. Jesus shed blood on the cross satisfies all the just and the holy demands of God. But we have to believe that by faith. You have to appropriate it by faith. You have to totally rely upon the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Quit trying to work your way to heaven. Quit trying to earn your way to heaven. Quit trying to imagine you're good enough to get into heaven. And you need to see yourself completely bankrupt spiritually before God without any hope but the shed blood of Jesus. And what Christ did for you on the cross. He provided that redemption for us on the cross. He shed his blood on the cross to appease holy God for our sin debt that we had before him. God provided salvation as a free gift, shows the righteousness of God also. That's what Paul said there, that it teaches or shows us the righteousness of God. Here's what he means by that. Had God created man knowing that man would sin and he did by the way because he's omniscient he knows all things it wasn't a shock to god when adam chose sin and and mankind became sinners but if god created man knowing he would sin and then put in a law up that man was supposed to follow but he couldn't follow it and thus god's condemning every man that he made That would make God to be unjust because God had placed a requirement upon us that we could never meet. And that would be God being unjust. So instead of God following that scenario, God made us knowing we were sin. God always had the plan of Jesus being the one that died on the cross for our sins. And he sent his son to do for us what we cannot do. And that's what makes God just. He's the just and the justifier of those that are sinful. Because God provided for us what we could not do. Had God not done that, it could be an accusation hurled by Satan or anyone else at God. Well, God, you set up the human race. You made them. You made them to where they had free choice. You made them where they would fall into sin. And then you gave them the law and they couldn't live up to it. So you effectively condemned them from the very beginning. That's why God always had the plan to send his son to die on the cross. That's why it is through through His grace and His grace alone, not through good works. It's through the shed blood of Jesus and our faith in Him that we must rely upon in order to have salvation. The Bible does not teach that it takes faith and good works to attain salvation. Instead, the Bible teaches salvation is a free, although a very extravagant, very, very, very extravagant gift to be received by faith. And then because of our faith in God, that's why we serve Him. And we're going to talk about that in James in just a moment. We're entering into the Christmas season where we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And a lot of times we tend to get these you know, kind of cushy, warm feelings about a baby in a manger. And we should because of all that baby represents. But we need to always recognize the story of Christmas involves a cross. 
in Jesus being placed in that crib, he came always to die on the cross for our sins. He came to provide for us what we cannot provide for ourselves. If salvation is based upon faith plus works, that means we're saying, well, Jesus, what you did wasn't sufficient. What you did wasn't enough. And that's why it's complete heresy for someone to ever say it takes faith and good works to attain salvation, to earn your salvation. Let's go to James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, we're going to talk about the fact that there's some confusion about the place or the position or the purpose of works and salvation. A lot of people are confused about what James teaches. Some people will take what James says and what Paul says and make it like they're polar enemies to each other, like they're saying the exact opposite thing. Can, can I give you a tip when it comes to interpreting the Bible? If you're reading the Bible and you come across something that goes against the whole body of truth of the rest of the Scripture, guess what? You've interpreted something the wrong way. Here's why. God is the one that inspired the Bible. God's not going to contradict himself. God is not going to have Paul to teach that salvation is through faith and through his grace and turn around and have James to teach, oh, no, but wait a minute, salvation is earned by good works. So if that's the interpretation you get out of James, you're, you're reading it wrong. And we need to take some time and understand that because a lot of people will point to James and say, but, 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 it says you've got to have good works in, in order to be saved. And really what James is saying is this, you, you ought to have good works because, because you're saved, not in order to be saved. So let's walk through these verses here, and then we'll finish up in Ephesians. James is not teaching that salvation is earned by works. That, that's not the purpose of what he's writing. I'm going to read through verse 17 to start with. It says, what good is it? Maybe focus on that phrase. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Some translations just say, can, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace... Be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, I want you to key in on some phrases that he says there. He says, what good is it? And then he says, what good is that? What James is addressing is this. He's addressing the need of our faith to have action. He's addressing the need of, of the faith that we have as believers to, to have good works attached to it. Not good works in order that you're earning your salvation, but good works because you've been saved. Good works because you have faith in Christ. The phrase, can that faith save him? When, when you look at the way that's structured in the Greek, it could be translated like this. Can that kind of faith or can that type of faith save that person? See, James is not attacking or denying salvation by faith. He's not going against what, what Paul had written. Instead, James is pointing out that real faith gives evidence of his salvation by serving Christ and others. Real faith is going to have action attached to it. It's going to be more than just words. For you and I to say, I have faith, and there's a hungry person in front of us, or a cold person in front of us, or whatever the case might be, a really troubled person in front of us, and all we do is tell them, we'll go and have peace. 
Go and be filled. God bless you. We want the best for your life. Go and be clothed. Go and be warm. And that's all we do. And we, with the awareness that they have that ministry need, we fail to show them the compassion of Christ and the love of Christ and act like Jesus would act and try and meet that need. He's saying that's not displaying real faith. James is more or less giving us this picture, I think. If, if someone is only saying they have faith, saying they have, saying they have faith, and they never ever have any activity that shows they have faith, just maybe that person doesn't have authentic faith to start with. He, he's teaching us that authentic salvation is demonstrated through faith that works. He's not teaching that salvation is earned by those works, but he's telling us that authentic salvation is demonstrated through faith that works. Pick back up reading in verse 18 in James 2. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, now freeze frame that just for a second. I'll keep reading in a moment. Look at, look at the scenario he just presented. He, he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, that's something that can be seen, Right? And he says, you show me your faith without works. Anybody can inside themselves say, well, I've got faith. But how is that demonstrated? How is that seen by a lost world? How is that experienced by a lost world? Unless someone is demonstrating the faith that they have by their works. He says, you believe that God is wanting you to do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. <laughs> Stop and think about that one for a moment. That ought to maybe really be scary for someone that says, well, I have faith, but I don't have any kind of evidence of that faith. There's not any outcropping of my faith that's ministering to anyone else, that's serving Jesus, that's doing anything like that. And if that's all the person has, James is saying, hey, the demons know that there's a God. And the demons even tremble. How dare you in a frivolous way <laughs> act like you have faith when you have no evidence of it whatsoever by the works that you do in serving God. How dare you depend upon that only. And you've got demons over here that shudder and you're in a real frivolous way, you know, like, oh, I've got faith, but you're not proving it at all by serving Jesus. But by serving God, by, by ministering to, to other people. Let's keep reading. You believe there's, that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now we'll get back to James in just a minute. But he's using Abraham as an illustration. That means we need to think through Abraham's life. Long before Abraham heard God speak and say, take Isaac up on the mountain and offer him. Long before that happened, the Bible tells us that God had told Abraham in his old age, he and his wife both way beyond the years of childbearing that I'm going to make a mighty nation of you, a mighty people of you. Your descendants are going to be like the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore. And the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God, and because he believed God at that point, it was counted to him for righteousness. That was before Isaac was ever born. 
The Bible tells us that faith came first in Abraham long before he ever started up the mountain to offer Isaac. And faith is even exhibited before he starts up the mountain for him to take action upon what God said when God said, take Isaac up on the mountain. Now, this is years later. Isaac's been born. He's the seed of promise. He's the one that God had promised him. Take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him. Now, once again, this is an exercise of faith to where Abraham believed what God was telling him enough to start up the mountain. There's another exercise of faith in this story because on the way up the mountain, Isaac looks at his daddy and he says, where's the sacrifice? He's starting to maybe get worried and look around a little bit. There's wood, there's a knife and everything else, but there's no sacrifice. What did Abraham say? He said, God will provide the sacrifice. They get up on top of the mountain and he is there obedient. And this sounds, this sounds terrible. I understand this guy. He's there obedient, ready to plunge a knife into his own son. And he hears God say, don't do that. And he looked up and he said, now I know that you fear me, that you obey me. And he looked up and there in a thicket was called a ram by its horns. Which, by the way, is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus is caught in the thorn of our sin, of mankind's sin. He came and died on the cross for us. Now I want you to look in, in, in Hebrews more about the faith that Abraham had. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. God had already told Abraham, he's the one, he's the offspring, he's the one that I'm going to bring a mighty nation out of. He considered, this is what Abraham considered, he considered because of what God had already promised him about Isaac, he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from such, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Here's what they're saying. Abraham had already been told, Isaac is the one. Isaac is the one that I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. So with faith in what God has said, Abraham was thinking, if God has me to do this, God's going to raise him from the dead because God had already promised me that he's the one of promise, that he's the one the offspring will come from. So while it sounds like there are works being attached here to salvation. You need to recognize, you've got to look at Abraham's story. Abraham was justified by faith a long time before he ever started up the mountain with Isaac. Matter of fact, if you want to see a little bit more about that, we can do so by, by uh, continuing to, uh, to read, and then we'll wind up over here in, in, um, in Romans in just a minute. Keep reading in verse 22. It says, you see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And this is what James himself says. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. That happened before Isaac was ever born. That happened before they ever started up the mountain. And he was called a friend of God. And you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute. Let that soak in for a minute. (laughs) Justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Now I want to suggest something to you. 
If salvation comes by good works, in addition to faith, if it comes by good works, Rahab was a very unlikely candidate to be chosen because of her good works. You understand why? She was a prostitute. What happened was this. Joshua had sent spies in. They're getting ready to invade Jericho. The spies had been seen by some people inside the city, so they're looking, trying to find the spies. They went in, and Rahab hid them and kept quiet about them in her house. And they told her, because you've done this, if you'll hang a red thread, that she did so by faith, believing what they would say, when we come in and invade the city, we will spare your life and save you alive. That little red thread is like that ram caught in the thicket. That's a picture or a type of the blood of Jesus. There's a red scarlet line that runs all the way through the Scriptures. Every time you see a sacrifice, it's talking about Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus. This little... Red thread that she hanged. She did so by faith. It wasn't just works. It was by her faith that she did that. See, what James is teaching is this. James goes on and says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. What he's teaching is this. He's teaching that faith and works go together just like the body and the spirit go together if there's real life. If you have someone that's really alive, they have a body and they have a spirit. If you have someone who is authentically saved, they are authentically saved by faith. They're saved by God's grace. But in with that, there are works that should be produced, not in order to be saved, but because they're saved. Abraham is also talked about in Romans chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. For what does the Scripture say? It says this, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. What were we told by Paul about salvation is what? It's a gift. So there he says this, Now to the one that works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trust him, talking about God, trust him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. The Bible does not teach that we have to have faith and good works to attain salvation. The Bible does teach that we are saved by faith through God's great amazing grace by his by our faith in the shed blood of Jesus what he did for us on the cross and then because of our salvation there ought to be good works instead of us just saying be warm be filled instead of us just saying we have faith we need to demonstrate that we have faith because we are saved not in order to be saved Ephesians 2 and we'll finish up in Ephesians 2 we're going to talk about this we're going to look at the activity of God in His grace concerning salvation. The activity of God. What God did. Not what you and I did. Not what you and I can do or think we can do. The activity of God. In His grace concerning salvation. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. Now a lot of people love to read those two verses and then they stop reading somehow and detach verse 10. 
but we need to keep reading. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we look in Ephesians 2. He, he tells us here about the method of salvation. The method of salvation. For by grace, he doesn't say by works. He doesn't say by your goodness. He doesn't say by the law. He says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your undoing. Though the Bible clearly makes it abundantly clear to us that, that a person is saved by grace through faith in Christ. It doesn't say anything about plus works. It, it doesn't say anything about but also still obeying the law. It tells us clearly that a person is saved by grace through faith in Christ. Early in Romans 3, we saw Paul allude to that. He talked about it being a free gift and it being by God's grace in Romans chapter 3. And it not being by works in Romans chapter 3. And now he's telling us here once again in Ephesians, as he writes to these Ephesian believers, that our salvation is through faith, it's through God's grace. It's not through works because we'd be boasting about it. He tells us that the method of our salvation was conceived, planned, and carried out fully by God because Paul wrote these words, and this is not of your own doing. Grace is not of your own doing. Faith is not of your own doing. God gives you the capacity to believe. It is all of God. It is all the gift of God. It is not a result of works whatsoever because it was somehow tied to works because of our stinking human nature. We would brag about it and boast about it if somehow we cause those things to happen. You see, it doesn't take faith in good works to attain salvation. It's clearly... Our faith based upon what Jesus did for us on the cross and God's grace that saves us. And we don't have anything to boast about because it's not of us. Someone bragging about their salvation as though they've saved themselves would be as foolish as someone going through a heart surgery successfully on the other side of it taking credit for what the heart surgeon did. Someone bragging about their salvation as though it has something to do with them saving themselves is as foolish as a, an infant bragging about causing him or herself to be born and ignoring the activity of the, of the dad and mother, especially the mother. Someone bragging about their salvation as though it was all of them, something they had to do, and not giving God the credit, the full credit for what He did of their salvation is as ridiculous as someone being in a burning house and they've been overcome by smoke inhalation and they're laying in the floor and they're about to die and a fireman rushes in in his gear and picks the person up and takes them out to safety. Someone bragging about saving themselves in some way as ridiculous as that person who's rescued by the fireman standing before the news media and said but I had something to do with this I was laying in the floor intentionally I was there about to die passed out and, and I allowed that fireman to come in and pick me up and take me out so it's because of something I did that I'm standing here alive today that's how ridiculous it is for someone to brag about their own salvation as though somehow they had something to do with it. Because also in Ephesians, he clearly tells us that salvation is a gift. He says, it is a gift of God, 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Early in Romans, we saw Paul use the word gift. There it meant gratuitously or without a cause. Here he uses the word gift, but it's a different Greek word. The Greek word here means a present, especially a sacrifice or an offering. Hey, God has given us the greatest gift of all time. I don't care what type of gift you get this Christmas, what kind of gift you purchase and give someone else this Christmas. The greatest gift of all time is what God has given us in Christ. Amen? It's a gift of salvation, not a result of works. Here Paul uses the absolute negative. There are different negatives in the Greek language. Some mean no, but it's not like it's an absolute no. Here Paul uses the word that means absolutely not. There's no way whatsoever that works is involved in our salvation. He said absolutely not. It's not the result of works. Because if it were to be, somehow we would be boasting, we'd be vaunting, we'd be glorying in it ourselves when clearly salvation is the gift of God. It's absolutely not a result of works. And once again today, it does not take faith and good works to attain salvation. But, we've got to go on to verse 10, but our salvation should prompt or produce good works in our lives. Because Paul finishes up in that passage of Scripture, after he clearly points out that we're saved by grace, we're saved by faith, it's not of ourselves. He goes on and he talks about the pathway that we ought to be walking as people who've received salvation. Good works doesn't save us, but if you're authentically saved, there's a pathway you ought to be working that involves, ought to be walking that involves good works. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God made us. God fabricated us. The word that he uses there for, for being his workmanship means that we're, we're a product that God has made through our salvation, through our faith in Christ. It talks about a fabric or something being made. So as Christians, you and I have been made by God. If you have faith in Christ, we've been made by God. We're his workmanship. And we were created, and the word created gives the idea of proprietorship. In other words, God's the owner. God bought us with the blood of Jesus. We, we belong to Him. God, God's the manufacturer. God's the one that fabricated us. God has manufactured us as believers for much more than just saying, I'm saved now, I'm on my way to heaven. God has fabricated us as believers because we're saved now to serve Him and serve others in good works. A car manufacturer makes a car for a purpose, don't they? What's the purpose? Driving faster than the speed limit that I said earlier. Purpose, it has a purpose, transportation. God is our manufacturer. God is the one that has saved us by grace through faith in Jesus. And God has made us, manufactured us for a purpose. He's made us for good works, for beneficial works. Our, our lives are supposed to be superimposed over, over good beneficial works. That's what our life's supposed to be about now as a Christian. God prepared in advance. He fitted it up in advance for us that we ought to walk in them, that we ought to tread all around, walk at large, live, deport ourselves, follow, be occupied with in a fixed position. You and I as Christians serving Christ because of what He did for us. 
is not a thing to where we serve him for a little while and then we call time out and we think we've done our part. No, he's got stuff for us to walk and to pour ourselves all about all the days of our lives because he's called us to serve him in a fixed position. Today we've talked about a statement that I hope you already knew was heresy. I hope you knew it wasn't right. That night when I heard it on the television, it wasn't the first time I'd heard it, but when I heard it that night, and I'd already planned this series out, and I thought, I need to add that one in. Because a huge red flag came up in my spirit the moment I heard that. And if you hear someone say that salvation is attained by faith and good works, you ought to get a red flag in your soul. Salvation is received as a free gift through faith in Jesus. The good works take place because of our salvation. Not in order that we can be saved. There's a huge difference there. One of the great fears that I have, and I've been a pastor a long time now, 34 years. One of the great fears that I have that there have been people in churches that have sat there and they've heard the gospel and in their head they understand that Jesus died for them on the cross and God's grace and all of that. But somehow also they're still holding on to their own good works. And if we add anything to the gospel, anything to the cross, we destroy the power of the cross. We destroy the power of the gospel. And it's my concern that maybe we've not allowed grace to be as big as it should be in church and in our worship services. I hope you clearly understand today. It's not of you. It's not of your own goodness. It's not of your own abilities. It's all of God and what He's done for us. After we finished the first service, I left from here to go to my office because I needed to, to see someone that was in my office. And I turned around, there's someone following me uh, all the way to the office door. And uh, the man's been coming for a, for a while now, a few months. Wasn't coming, hadn't gone to church in a long time, anywhere. And he looked at me and he, he said, that was a good message. And I said, well, why? What was good about it? And he said, that was my problem. That's what kept me away from church. And I, I said, what was your problem? He said, I didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel worthy. I said, guess what? <laughs> You're not. I'm not. You're not. Thank God for grace. Amen. It's by God's grace through faith in Jesus that we're saved. Good works has its part, but not in saving us. It's how we demonstrate our faith to a world around us. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray right now if there's anyone in this worship service this morning and somehow they've been holding on to their own imagined good works. Somehow they've been holding on to their own imagined goodness. Somehow they've been basing their relationship with you in something other than than faith in Jesus and your amazing grace. 
Father, I pray you help them see right now that they need to turn loose of everything and only trust in Jesus. They need to turn loose in any hope of imagined good works. They need to turn loose of any, any practices whereby they think they're earning their, their righteousness before you. Father, help all of us to, to see this morning that we're just simply bankrupt spiritually. We have no hope without Jesus. And that you sent Jesus to do for us what we cannot do on the cross. So, Father, if there's someone here today that, that somehow held on to something other than faith in Jesus, God, help them to get it right this morning. Help them to lay down everything except their faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And Father, for those of us that already know that, and we don't have any doubt in our mind that we've trusted fully in Jesus, God, we, we pray you challenge our hearts. Because maybe even though we have faith in Jesus, we're not demonstrating it to a lost world like we should. Father, help us to display good works, not in order to be saved, but because we're saved. That a lost world around us might experience your love and your compassion. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand. God speaks to you during this uh, time of invitation. We invite you to come, kneel and pray. Come and... And talk to me if you, if you have questions. If you need prayer, come. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.